Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hour in finance radio. And I'm excited to be here today. Like I was telling our our opening audience, right, the first three minutes in KTTH, a little bit of a curveball. This has been a strange year for interviews. It really has been. and it's probably just luck catching up to us. Just it's funny because I've talked to some of my other buddies that do shows or podcasts like Dimitri and things. And um they they ex- things happen, right? Schedules change and they've always experienced that. I've never really had that. I don't think we've ever canceled we have we had a couple in the past, but we usually knew a while before where we had to change the date. We've had more scheduling snafus this year um, than all the other years put together. But hey, maybe we're just getting them all done in one year. But anyway, um, actually recorded a great interview for you guys yesterday with my buddy Dimitri, our end of year special, and uh, did all of our checks, did all of our you know due diligence. But it went through all the all the deal, our process. Get to the end of the get to the end of the interview, and it, the it had picked up two minutes. So that was an hour and 20 minutes of my life wasted. But anyway, we're going to do that episode next week, and we will post it the first week of 2024, because anything we want to air next week, we got to get to them this week. So anyway, it's, yeah, we're not gonna be able to make it, but it'll be, look out for that interview, and I'll I'll obviously warn about it and give you a heads up, but um, I I think you'll want to hear that. So anyway, we did that last year. I'm going to do it again this year, that kind of year in review, looking, you know, summing everything up politically, financially, all that kind of stuff, and then looking forward to the year ahead. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing we're going to do, because we did this last year, in the last two shows of the year, we did the end of year, look back and looking forward to the next year. And then we also did kind of a miss correcting common myths, right? Or, or like I was saying to the folks in the warm up. Uh, an email to your family type of show. Not that they'll listen, not that they'll join, not trying to broaden our audience, but trying to address some of the biggest misconceptions surrounding economics or finance that we've heard in this year. You know, obviously you're not getting, it is increasingly appalling to me, the ridiculous composition, if you will, of financial media. Um, and, and, and I, I, you know, and I don't think it's a cabal. I don't think it's a conspiracy. It's just fascinating to you. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know what? I need to take real time examples and share them with you guys. But, uh, Chase and I talked about one yesterday on the daily dots, which was CNBC came about holiday spending set to surge. Well, you go read, (laughs) you go read through the data and it was just, it was ridiculous. Meaning. The data could have meant that. It could have meant exactly the opposite. The extrapolation of it was just crazy. The unscientific nature of it was just crazy. Um, and you look, I don't know why. I, I'm not alleging that it was on purpose. I don't know that it wasn't on purpose. I just know it was the most scientifically incomplete, nonsensical data. It just didn't mean anything, right? Like one way or the other. It was just useless information. Like somebody wasted time in their lives creating it. And, and, and that's, I I think honestly, that's the majority of it. I don't think the vast majority of people in financial media are twisting their mustaches and going, oh, we're going to get one over on the folks. Um, I, I just, I just think it's vapid. Part of me forgives them because we try to be really careful about it. But if you're on air every single day talking all the time, you're going to say some stupid stuff every once in a while. It's just, it's amazing to me how incomplete, you know, I I use a guy like Jim Cramer, for instance. Um, You know, Jim Cramer is not some sober minded investment guy. 
I also don't think he's stupid. Like people sit there and say, Jim's not stupid. He's great. He's created good returns. Hasn't done it in a while, but um, you know, he's, he's not a dumb guy. Uh, he's just a market cheerleader. And I've just always, you know, and I guess that's a good idea just because, you know, in generally the, in general, the stock market goes up. You don't want somebody sitting there, you know, spewing doom porn constantly. And, and, you know, nobody wants to listen to that at the same time. There's just no, there's so, there's so little reality. And anytime somebody expresses something negative, it's, Oh, you think that's going to, and you're like, what do you, yes. Yeah. Markets move both ways. You didn't know that markets get over, over, over priced. Well, why would you say, well, because on every price metric, we're, we're historic. Do you know what I mean? Just stuff like that, where it's like, well, that's your assertion. And you go, no, that's the data. It's a fact. It's okay to say the market's really expensive and it's crazy expensive. It is. That doesn't mean a crash is imminent. Look, this market's been overpriced almost this entire cycle. You can just say it, right? You just sit there and go, boy, you know, for instance, I don't think it's bearish to sit there and go, boy, the economy's really got its work cut out for it next year. Well, what do you mean, John? Well, when you look at earnings multiples, 27 approaching 28 times earnings on the S&P 500, that is baking in some fantastic results. And we sure didn't see those trends play out this year, right? Like that, like that's the story, right? That's the data. I'm not spinning what I think's going to happen. Well, why would you call it expensive? Well, because the long-term price-to-earnings average ratio is 16. Right. That's so you're at 27. You're approaching double, right? With the Fed funds rate at five and a half. That's that's very expensive. Now, look, another one, right? Here's another example. Earnings. Have, have you heard of anybody talking about this? I mean, this is, this is interesting and it's newsworthy, right? The earnings yield on the SP is at 3.9% and moving down, and the Fed funds rate is at five and a half. That hasn't happened. That's happened one other time in the last 40 years. You would think that was newsworthy. When did that happen? 98. Right close to the peak of the last tech bubble. So does that make me bearish or a, or a doom porner for saying that's a fact? Right? And this, the, anyway, so you guys get my drift. And I, just, I don't think people really realize, I mean, if you're listening to these radio stations, you probably do. I don't think people realize the, the gentle manipulation right the the gentle it, it's as a guy that we've had on the show before um uh <laughs> anyway the 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 gentle nudging right what is ben's last name? i'm completely blanking right now ben hunt ben hunt epsilon theory had been on the show before and he talks about the gentle the gentle nudging state right but you could all say that about the media what do you mean we're biased? We didn't come out and tell people to vote for Biden over Trump. Well, yeah, but 92% of your articles and news stories on Trump were negative and less than 15%. And I'm just pulling these numbers out, but I've heard numbers that are pretty similar to this. And 15% or less of your stories regarding Biden were a negative light, right? I'm not saying that what you said in the stories was incorrect, right? I'm just saying the way you present it is incredibly biased. And, and you just, you see that going on. And I just, the, the, the odd thing to me is I just don't, well, you can see why it is applied to financial media when, when, when you've got a financial backing going into a, you know, going into a, um, like, like think about all the reports you've read this year about why do people think the economy is bad? You know, people think about all of those. And you saw it like it was like the same story over and over and over. People are just uninformed. They don't realize Look at how much it's growing. And you're sitting there going, no, you don't realize how much it's growing. Okay, here's why people don't like the economy. Three and a half, in, in the last three and a half years. Now, it's gotten a little bit better here recently. But I mean, you're talking about like, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like being down 42 to seven in a game and going, hey, it was worse 10 minutes ago. And you're like, what do you mean? Well, we hadn't scored our first touchdown, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, it's, it's improved a little bit, but it's, you've had the worst three and a half years of real income growth at any point in the last 50. Okay. You've had the most inflation. Now that is an inflation adjusted metric, but you've had the highest inflation rates you've seen in the last 40 years since the seventies, early eighties, late seventies. 
why why does it why is it surprising to you home sales as volumes are at like what you know i, I don't know 45 50% of normal interest rate spiking like why why would you well look at the job well yeah but it's we i like right i don't get the consternation i don't get why you'd sit there but why aren't people comp- because they can't buy a house can't buy a car they can't afford it Defaults are rising. Delinquencies are rising. This isn't being negative, right? This is reality. Oh, man, it sure is nasty outside. You're such a pessimist. Well, no. So actually, it's 43 degrees and pouring down rain. Oh, you're so negative. No, no, you're, that's the weather, right? So anyway, they, that's the whole idea. I went a little bit long there, you know, explaining that and illustrating. It just, it just bakes your brain. So... Mar- and, and again, this is kind of the this kind of the gist of the show. Mar- you know, market update for this week. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're still it, it's going to be really interesting to me where we finish uh, the year at. Um, you have breakout levels, but when you sit there and look at the charts, you're just on a razor's edge, right? And and that's interesting to me because. You know, look, technicals and chart action don't mean everything. But like I've said, it's something that you want to pay attention to increasingly in a market like this, the less and less tethered it seems to be to economic reality. Again, not an opinion. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, go look at Tesla's pricing and margins. Go look at their sales growth in places like China and go look at their stock price. It's basically disconnected from the underlying fundamentals. And, 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 and I'm not saying always to the upset. What I'm saying is these things are trading. Now, people will make an argument that next year you got an explosion in earnings coming. Uh, those people are getting further and further and further, fewer and far between. But they're still – so maybe they're right. You, you don't see any evidence of that. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Never want to say that in this in in this post COVID world. We don't ever want to use that term as it relates to finance and economics, especially to markets. But you know, I, I looking at those levels, I always sort of thought, and I was hoping this wouldn't be the case. I knew that when this cycle peaked and we headed down, and and when I say I knew this, I, I actually wrote this in a letter. I've said it on the show before too, but I wrote it in a letter to our clients. Um. I knew that there would be massive bear market rallies, right? I knew that there would be false dawns. And the reason I believe that is pretty simple. Um, Looking at the incredible exuberance, right, that was in 2020 and 2021, the market valuations, highest valuations we'd seen since the height of the tech bubble, uh, highest actually across the board, highest valuations we'd ever seen in history, interest rates at zero. You're just like, okay, right? This is this, you know, it's here. Um, and then you're like, look, as soon as interest rates start going up and you got to start pulling this stimulus, not as soon, right? You'd have to burn through excess savings and do all that kind of stuff. But you've now come from a point that is so hot. And so you're just kind of the return to normal by definition will be a recession. And I said, but on the way there, when you look at the amount, you know, the, the debt, you look at the fed, how they're going to be probably slow to, you know, slow to hike. You know, we went through all the different machinations basically and said, look, you're going to see massive rallies. And why are you going to see massive rallies? Because for 15 years, the only way you didn't win big was if you didn't buy every single dip in tech. Okay. And to think that that's just going to end, right? Even when the growth that drove that ends to think it's just going to end, it just doesn't do that, right? You've spent 15 years creating that muscle memory. And I long thought again, since you saw, you know, debt balloon and, and (laughs) record stimulus and the longest bull market in us history and all that, it kind of made sense. The theory was at the time, it made sense if you saw the biggest bear market rally of all time. And then you start thinking about, okay, what would the biggest bear market rally of all time look like? To me, it would look like barely setting new all-time highs, sucking everybody back in, everybody saying it's a new bull market, and then whammy. Now, interestingly enough, I think we're going to find out really short in, in, in very short order 
as in the next month or two, I think we're going to find out whether that prognostication proves correct or not. Well, not so much as a prognostication, right? Was just saying that that was what I was preparing myself for. And that's what I was preparing clients for. Um, Certainly on a fundamental basis, I believe that that is precisely what's happening in terms of the underlying economy. The only thing that is kind of sticking in my oint or, or in that prognostication is federal spending has stayed higher than I would have anticipated. Um, <laughs> I think it stayed higher than anybody would have anticipated. And just, it, so that, you know, that, in, so there is that aspect of it. And like I've said, you know, to me, it looks disgustingly clear right? That we're going into recession, but that is the caveat to me. That is just, it's a lot of money. But anyway, just because of those things, I thought, you know, you'd see the, you know, biggest, longest bull market of all time, biggest, craziest bear market ever. It just made sense. And so we're right at those levels. You're right at these levels where, you know, the queues by definition are at new all-time highs. Several of the underlying, you know, apples right there just keeps bumping up against that $200 level, which is interesting. And it's because it's a big round number, right? That's a big resistance level. Google the same, look at all the fangs. They're all bumping. A few of them still below their all-time highs. NVIDIA really is the biggest driver. That really is why the queues are at their all-time highs. Basically, if you look at the queues at sub-NVIDIA, they're all bumping right up against them. Right. Um, but uh, the advantageous opportunity, I think, is this. I, I, I think that that train has left the station as far as the cues are concerned. And if there isn't, if there isn't a recession, you're right. You want to be on the other end of it. You want to be on the stuff that hasn't bounced back. You want to be on the stuff that still is priced like that. Right. So. I actually think, you know, there's going to be a lot of people capitulating, throwing in the towel, jumping on the queues based off their performance this year. And I just don't think that – I think you'd be doing uh, – on so many different levels, I think you're doing precisely the wrong thing. I'm not saying they're collapsing next year. What I'm saying, though, is that if if the queues in the NASDAQ and the tech stocks are correct, which they are showing – well, you could make an argument – some people make the argument that, that people will buy those in a recession. I don't think that's the case. I think that they'll probably go down, not as much as others because I don't think their earnings will get hit as hard. But um, – to me, what these things are pricing is a, they're pricing in a soft landing, right? They're pricing in lower interest rates and avoiding recession, okay? If that happens, the other stocks that haven't gone up this year are going to have to rally, right? Now, what do we think the chances of that happening are? Avoiding recession? I, I, like I said, I don't know. If you, if you – I, ch- I think the chances of avoiding recession are slim. Okay, in my opinion, I think that you're probably somewhere between 20 to 30% chance, i.e. 20% chance of avoiding recession. That's my belief. And here's why I believe it. Um, I, I, I don't think things will get bad fast enough to really get the Fed to cut aggressively fast. And I think that that's what it's going to take to stave off a lot of delinquency foreclosures, uh, certainly on commercial office space. You just have so many different pressures on this market. And with that in light, it's just hard to see consumer spending being able to hang in there. And it was like, well, yeah, but look at inflation. Once again, I, I think inflation is one of the worst understood. When you see inflation numbers coming down, things aren't getting cheaper. They're going up less quick. Right. And so everybody's like, well, inflation's down to consumers. And you look at them and go, oh, my gosh, you guys. No, it's not. The prices are still going up. They're just going up more slowly. But you don't need them to quit going up. They need to come down. Now, all things won't come down. I'm not saying that. And over time, the price of everything goes up. But it's the speed of that change. Right. And and and. One of the things that spurred that inflation higher, right, that pushed those prices higher was that crazy level of consumer spending. But here's what we all know. Now, whether it comes down fast enough to create a recession, we'll have to see. Okay, but consumer spending is not going to continue at the, at the pace that it's been on over the last two, two to three, three years. It can't. It's just, there's not enough money there. So – 
Now, the flip side, like I said, the only thing that makes me if, – if, if this wasn't the case, if you were running more sober type – you know, if, if we were sitting at a, a trillion-dollar deficit, which is crazy, but you know, when you look at that as a percentage of the entire economy, it, 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 it isn't historically out of line. And if you were running a trillion-dollar deficit right now, I'd look at it and be like, look, you're going into recession. You're, you are going into recession. But you're not. You're over two. You're like at 2.2 trillion with no plans of slowing down, right? Everything Biden's talking about is increased spending. Remember that money feeds right into the economy. And so that's, that is really, to me, the only fly in the ointment, but this is the, this is the troubling part. And we'll get into this in the next section a little bit more. The, The part that I have a tough time with is we've just sat here and talked about economic situations in our own country, right? What the consumer is up against, all all of these challenges we face. We haven't even talked about global conflict, which we're going to talk about more in the next segment. We haven't, we haven't discussed, you know, global conflict. When I say global conflict, global conflicts that are currently happening, but they could spin out of control and become much bigger global conflicts. We're not talking about China, which is a whole nother basket of issues. Right, we're not talking about any of that. So this is my issue. When you look at this, when you look at the backdrop, you have the only metric right now that does not have stocks priced at the highest price on record is the PE ratio. Okay. But I think a big part of that, like I've explained on the I've explained on the show many times, I'm not explaining that away, but I'm a big part of that I think can be explained. In, well, one thing for sure, the, the, the record width, the record gap between stated earnings by corporations and earning uh, taxable earnings. Okay, it's the widest gap in history. So what does that tell you? It tells you there's creative accounting going on and was, earnings are overstated. So you factor that in and I think you're, I think you're right back up there, but It's kind of crazy because the most crazy price stuff in today's market. Now, I think the companies by and by and large are more solid than they were on average back in 99 at the height of the tech bubble. But the crazy price stuff is is priced way crazier than the crazy stuff was priced in 2000, right? The cheaper stuff in this market is just a lot cheaper too. A lot of this stuff wasn't left for dead like it's been now. So that's kind of dragging down the valuation side on the other. So when you look at those market dynamics, the other thing that I think is overstating it is those companies at the top of the index are more profitable than any companies are either, right? So they're so again, they're really expensive, but they're, they are expensive for a reason, right? These companies are unbelievable cash cows. But I think you look at these anomalies and if you kind of try to normalize it out, you sit there and go, Okay, even the PE ratio is probably, but everything else, price to sales, market capitalization to GDP, price to EBITDA. I mean, you just go down the list. You know, now, now you've got a market that's got an earnings yield that's below the Fed funds rate. That hasn't happened since the, since the height of the tech bubble. So my issue is not just that things are expensive, but things are expensive and the outlook is so, is so troubling. There are so many risks out there and the market is priced in the opposite fashion. And that is a fact. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time. Risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. 
Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay, so to wrap up current state of the economy, right? Um, and I just want to be really clear about this. We don't see flat out recessionary data, right? We talk about this on the dots every single day. What we see is very synchronized slowdowns meaning over a broad level of indicators, a lot of things tipping down. Now, we've also been talking about this, but the next two months really, I think, are going to tell us the story of this year, okay? Because when we look at what has happened in interest rates and what has happened to financial conditions, generally speaking, over the last, you know, three months and the market this year, right? The stock market's up big, so that makes consumers feel more flush. If you don't see a bounce or a change in trend in that economic data that we've been looking at in the first two months, you're headed into recession. You just are. If, if, if the conditions this loose are not making things, if they're not going to reignite us a little bit on the upside, you're heading into recession. If you do get that good data, more waiting, right? Just, just because what you, because you've got several things happening next year, Right, there will be a small, much smaller increase in Social Security. You, there, there's some spending that's going to be ending next year. The way things are going out, we had Stephen Mirren on the show. We're going to get him back on here in the first part of uh, 2024. But like he was explaining to us a little earlier in the year, it's just the way things rolled out. There will be less accommodation next year. There will be less money flowing in. Right, there will be less positive shocks next year, just by the way things are rolling out. Right, so. When you factor all of that in, I think the next two year, the next two months are going to tell the story as far as I think they're going to let us know, are we headed into recession right now? And if we're not, more uncertainty throughout the rest of the year, and we'll just have to wait and see. But that, you know, that's, that's the read on that. And like I said, guys, I, we're not giving you our <clears> – <throat> now, when we sit – when I sit there and tell you, I think you've got about a 20% chance of not having a recession, that's an opinion, Okay. That is an opinion. When I'm talking about all the data, it is not. And I wish, you know, we're on radio, but sometimes we're actually going to start putting all the shows on on, on YouTube. So, <laughs> because everybody wants to see my face, right? Um, no, we're going to start putting on YouTube to share things like this because I just like to be able to show you, right? The, when we're sitting there saying all the things are pointing in the wrong direction, we're not making that up. That's just the data. Just, it is what it is. And I've also said it's not apocalyptic. It's not there. There are some. There, there are there are a few pieces of data like delinquencies in people under the age of forty. There are a few that are alarming. Most are not, but they are heading in the wrong direction. And like I said, it's that synchronized action that has kind of caught our eye, and and you know that we fully expected. But we'll have to see the way that rolls out. Um, on the Fed, so so there you go. So that's that is the real state of affairs. Um, you know, it, like I said, stock market. Um, people are like, oh, it's great. I mean, if 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 buying things cheap is your gig, um, then you should not be excited about the stock market. Like I said, it's not hyperbolic to call this the most expensive stock market of all time. Right now, people that disagree with me, like I said, they'll point to PE ratios. And I'm like, okay, that's like one of 10 ways to look at market valuations. Let's look at all the rest, right? So, I mean, if, if, if this is the most expensive stock market on eight or nine out of 10 different valuation metrics, I don't think that's hyperbolic to call this the most expensive stock market. What are we going to do? Pick the one that won in one or two categories or the one that won in eight or nine, right? So. What does that mean? Well, I, it means it's priced for things really good. And the last time markets were at these levels, you you had a recession and you had significant pullbacks. Not because market got markets got to these levels, right? I mean, there's other factors. There's natural cycle. 
it is amazing to me how markets seem to get the most euphoria and nonsensical at the height of markets, though, it, it, or at the height of cycles. It, it's human beings are fascinating. Meaning, you know what I mean? Like, how, what, why is it that that kind of euphoria thinking and that kind of euphoria stock market action always takes place right at the height of a cycle? And, and I mean, there's some, there, there are some comments, meaning you have that, there's part of it, which is the effect of, you know, every last person is now in the boat and there's effectively nobody left to buy. But it's it, human beings are fascinating to me. Um, anyway, so the, the, that is what you can go. If, you, if you're having an argument with your people, Bidenomics is working, bro. That's the, that's the hardcore state of the economy, okay? Without political bias into it, you know, they can't say it's from Tucker Carlson. That's just what the data shows, okay? Just, it just is. Next one, on federal, on federal budget, right? Here's where the Bidenomics things really, this is where Bidenomics hits, hits, the rubber hits the road. What is Bidenomics? Oh, it's working. Does it? Look, it, there any government on the face of the earth, if they go from deficit spending, deficits that are three and a half percent of GDP and they jack them up to seven, okay, it's going to appear to be a really strong market. Okay, so Bidenomics, and again, this isn't debatable, but there have been real, no real other changes. So when you say Bidenomics, what that means is running record deficits. That's what it means. Is that going to be beneficial for asset prices, at least in the short run? Yep. Could even be in the long run if you really get inflation off and running. But I mean, that's it. You're at $34 trillion in debt now. You're adding $2 trillion a year. I, you're going to keep seeing that debt number sprint away. When you get to this level on the debt side of things, okay, I will be shocked if you ever get to a point where we even get our debt back to 100% of GDP, not counting debt that the Fed buys, right? Now, that isn't the way it works in Japan. All, all, of, the, all of the debt the BOJ owns, they still consider that to be debt of the, US, of, of the Bank of Japan. But you, you don't ever see that happen. And I think the only way you're ever going to see it happen is when these central banks buy up all this debt, which they're going to do. Okay, and the simple reason is just just basic arithmetic. If you are issuing, right, and we've talked about this on the show before, but here's another myth I'll misspell. The Chinese at any moment could sell our debt and crash our economy. Nonsense. If the Chinese sold all of the debt and it started making a ripple in our debt markets, which it would. I mean, if they sold a trillion dollars, they got a $980 billion worth of treasuries. The Federal Reserve would step, step in and suck it up, and I don't even think you'd see the market go sideways for as much as two or three days. If that now that could set off other things, but it's complete nonsense, right? China, the, the fed, the fed effectively bought $3 trillion worth of assets during COVID. You don't think they can soak up a trillion dollars. I mean, it, literally it's just math. They'd put a trillion dollars into the account, right? And then boom, they'd buy up the treasuries that simple. Or they'd have the banks go in and do it for them. And then they'd buy them off the bank balance sheets. Like that's, that's what would happen. So, and it's fascinating to me because I grew up hearing about this, but we have crossed that line. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean impending economic doom. These things often take longer than you think, but we go, what line have we crossed? hundred percent debt to GDP. Nobody ever comes back from that. Now you're at 150. Are we at 150 yet? No, no, 150. Yeah. I think we're, yeah, you're about 150 debt to GDP because you're at, Maybe not quite. Maybe it's 140. Anyway, you're you're way over that number. You're tacking on another two. And and here's the crazy thing about a recession, guys. Remember, in that recession, you're you're tacking on. You're running 2.1, 2.2 trillion dollar deficits with 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 the unemployment rate at the lowest level it's been in like 55 years. Why is that important? Because when the unemployment rate is that low, everybody's paying income taxes. Tax receipts are higher. Income to right capital gains tax are higher. You know what? What do you think? Well, I mean, not what do you think, but I mean, you can just imagine in your head, right? Just the unemployment rate going up to four and a half or five percent, which is historically still low, right? But you get the unemployment up four and a half, five percent. Stock market down twenty five to thirty. Even if just holding, just just. Just holding spending still will push the deficit up to, I don't know, somewhere between two and a half to three trillion. And then usually governments typically up spending. 
I mean, you it, it, if the, if we get that recession, you could easily see deficits soar to two and a half, three trillion, potentially even higher. So I, in that way, you know, we've and, and, and nobody's really, you know, you don't. Well, I mean, you hear people talking about it, especially in, in the conservative circles, but even in the economic circles, it, it just fascinates me. And I think a lot of it's politically driven, meaning I think a lot of these media actors won't talk about these problems. And, 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 it, and it frustrates me because Donald or excuse me, Joe Biden is not why we have this record amount of debt. I mean, he hasn't helped, but neither did Trump and neither did Obama and neither did Bush before him. Right. This has been a problem decades in the making. And yet we're, you know, we're playing politics with it. And it, it, I, I think it's newsworthy. I think it's noteworthy, right? That we have crossed that line, that hundred percent debt to GDP that nobody's come back from. Like that's a new era, right? What is that era? That, in, in my opinion, it is the beginning of the downward slog to losing reserve currency status. Now, I will also say that's not because there's going to be a collapse in the U.S. dollar. Eventually, every fiat currency will will collapse, right? They always do. But it does not mean that's imminent. Like I said, the structuring, and I'll just keep going back to this. Could the dollar go significantly lower? Yep, not saying it will. Not saying it won't. I'm just saying it's not, I, like I've said to you, it may not be good and it may not be fun as a U.S. consumer in the short run. Right. It's going to it's going to make our pockets tighter. It's going to make our inflation go up, but it's going to be a boon to the rest of the world. It's kind of one of those weird things to think about, and it's because it's the reserve currency. And and I, I'll, I continue to make this argument. If you're out there and you still think that these countries are out there, the way it's being spun, that they're creating these other currencies because they're afraid of the dollar collapsing. That's not it's they're afraid of the dollar going up. They're also it's also to protect them. The other big driver is so that it protects them from being Iran. It protects them from the U.S. government being able to block them outside of the SWIFT system and be able to, you know, wire money back and forth, you know, across the world. So these people talking about the pending collapse, if you think that's going to happen, it's very easy to hedge your portfolio against it. People are like, what are we going to do? You're going to want to buy some gold. You're probably going to want to buy a little bit of Bitcoin. And you're going to want to buy emerging markets, energy, things like that. Very simple. If that, right? Like what I always tell people to go, you know, I'm always like, hey, if you have a fear, financially speaking, and, and you know, for instance, you're worried about a collapsing U.S. dollar and massive inflation, okay, that's easy to protect against. Right? Like I said, buy some oil, buy some gold. You want to spread out your bets. You don't know what's going to work the best every time. But you want to buy inflationary assets. It's not complicated. So the real issue, right, what blows everything up is if the dollar goes way higher. What would drive it to do that? I, I don't know. Well, I do know what could potentially drive it to do that. It would be a global default cycle. And what'll be interesting is what that would look like, what central bank reaction would be. The other thing is, and I've had this discussion with Brent Johnson, Santiago Capital. I've had him on, I haven't had Brent on in a while. I should probably get him on next year. But what he, now, I don't know that I agree with him on this. I'm sort of undecided. But my whole attitude on the dollar has been if that default cycle starts, because you've got a record amount of, of, and here's Brent's argument about what could make the dollar go way higher. That if you get bad things starting to happen, so much of the debt around the world has been denominated in U.S. dollars, right? That when those dominoes, so a lot of businesses and a lot of countries out there have debt that is owed in dollars and their central bank doesn't print dollars, right? So they don't have unlimited access to dollars, but here's the catch. The Federal Reserve now has 30 different swap lines set up with foreign central banks. So 
in the event that Brent's scenario plays out, my question to him, and it still is to this day, is if they have a swap line with that foreign government, that, that basically means that that foreign central bank has as many dollars as they effectively want. Here's the other thing. Nothing even stops the Fed. The Fed, the, the way those swap, swap lines work is it's to lend currency, usually putting up bonds, your own bonds, cur- other currencies as collateral, something like that. But the Fed technically has the ability to forgive those loans too. So rather than just swapping currencies or loaning them, they just give it to them. So I, I don't really understand a, Again, I think Brent's a really smart guy. We agree on a lot of things, so I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying I'm not sure. I, I don't. I'm not an expert enough. And you know what? That's something we'll have to ask Steve Mirren because I bet he knows that. We'll have, we'll talk to him the next time he comes on there. But you know, what are the extent of those swap lines? What are the rules applied? And then here's the other thing with the rules: what are they completely? Meaning, are these rules that can just be subvert? You know, just moved around? You know, can can you just hopscotch these rules? Can you do that? You know, because if so, then they will, right? But you know that that the debt situation, like I said, it's you know we've heard we've heard the, again. I'll use the term fear porn. We've heard for a year. I grew up hearing the collapse of the dollar and our debt is out of control and da 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 da, right? And <clears throat> you know, this is back in the days when your your debt was averaging like twenty five to thirty five percent of GDP. Here's the thing. At 25 to 35% GDP in a solid economy like ours, you know, it was, it's silly that people were talking about debts like that back then. Now, what were they looking at? They were looking at long-term liabilities, right? Unfunded liabilities into the future. And then, you know, and so in that aspect, they were correct. But, you know, there was a lot of talk about it happening sooner than that. And, you know, we heard, but but here we are where right now, we are where so many of those people that we considered nut jobs and fringies right out there talking about the out of control debt scenario 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we are where they were saying was like, we're going to get there. And, 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 and nobody really cares. And like I said, nobody really cares because nothing bad is happening right now. But I, like I said, I just think it should at least be recognized. We should all be walking around going, listen, we have never been close to this indebted. And we have a debt scenario that no country has ever come out of, right? Now, maybe that takes another 100 years to play out. Again, I'm not saying it's imminent. And one of the unique things about this cycle is that every developed big country has a similar and actually worse debt scenario. One thing about ours that's a little bit different is our unfunded liabilities out into the future are a lot bigger. But everybody has the same scenario. So they're really, and that's kind of one of the things, right? If you, like I've said before, so many times, if you're telling me a currency is going to collapse, what you're telling me is there's a currency everybody out there would rather own. What is that? Well, there isn't one, right? So now how does that relate? Now, again, what do we do in these scenarios? Okay. Let's, let's get right back to the facts. Nobody, including me or you, knows 100% whether we're going into recession or not. Nobody, including you and me, knows, you know, where inflation is going to be in a couple of years. But when you look at the setup, this is why I've been saying for the last couple of years, when you look at the setup, you can easily see, look, I'm not saying inflation is going to moon. I'm not telling you what level it's going to get to. What I'm saying is that inflation is going to be a part of the story in a much larger way than it was over the last 15 years. Now, to be fair, the last 15 years saw, I, I believe, the, the you know some of the lowest inflation rates in a growing economy that we've ever had. So, I mean, which also makes sense, right? Like, so you, you, you've kind of hit the bottom of the barrel there, and now you're heading back up. The interesting thing is you don't have an economy that's built to handle that. Why do I say that? Because in, what do we all know? Higher inflation, higher interest rates, and you're more indebted than you've ever been. And that's a problem. It's another reason why I just, I, I just, I don't think when you look at the debt scenario here and the corporate debt and individual debt, I just, I, it's just hard to envision a lack of recession this year. But so what do we do on the investment side? Well, here's the trick, right? When you're looking at the real threat of a serious market shock, whether it's from just the economy rolling over into recession and stocks being ridiculously high or a geopolitical thing 
or a really big geopolitical thing, which is what I was alluding to easy, earlier. Things that China can do, and I'll, I'll talk about that in the final segment of the show, because I think there's some big news out there that's not really getting reported. It's in a couple places, but it's not being as widely disseminated as you'd think, or it should be. But how do we handle that? Well, we've got to do both, right? I think owning bonds right now is very attractive. Again, it's all about what duration you own and how much you own and what percentage of the portfolio it is. But here's the other thing. And this is why I totally disagree with these people out there. There is going to be no one asset that you can bet on unless you get really lucky. Well, that's why you got to buy gold. Gold doesn't usually fare too well in recessions, man. Well, when the government's spending like this, government spent quite a bit of money in 08, 09. Gold was down 30%. Now, again, it was down less than the stock market, but it was down 30%. What you have to do is you have to be diversified and you have to own inflationary assets. What are some of the best inflationary assets? Historically speaking, equity in companies that produce inflationary type products, right? Or inflationary goods, things that benefit from inflation, you know, energy, commodities, things of that nature. Should you own only those? No, you got to stay diversified because this isn't like all other inflationary periods of the time. Why? Technology is different, plays a different role. But what you really have to do, and this is why I'm so excited when I look out over the next several years. Now, we still have to execute, but this is why I get so excited. It's really hard to distinguish yourself as, a, as an asset manager in an environment like this where, where stocks are bucking underlying fundamental trends or, or underlying fundamentals and moving the opposite way. Because in this environment, people are just betting on stocks. And if we're just betting on stocks, if we're not betting on research, if we're not betting on discipline and all these other things, then you're just betting on a stock. I've got as much, you've got as much chance of winning as, you know, Joe across the street. But you get into an inflationary environment. You know, by definition now, fundamental research really matters. Why? Well, just figuring out the type of companies that will benefit. Well, it's oil companies. Which ones? Right? And if inflation becomes a real big issue, what have you seen in the past? You've seen government seize, right, oil fields. You've seen government seize timber production. So that's another part of your research that needs to be factored in, right? What, what, what do the geopolitical landscapes look like? This might look like a great company with great earnings, but is it in a geopolitical uh, uh, place, right? A location, a country where I'm worried about the dictator seizing it and keeping it for himself, right? How does that all shake out? So what do we, like I said, diversification and managing risk. Right. I think the ability to hedge portfolios against markets going south is going to be a big source of outperformance. Remember, the less we lose in downturns, the better our performance is over over the long run. And I you know, and that's one of the other things to me is when you look at this market, if if you do stall out here, getting back to the overall indexes, you got a market that's really looks like it's stuck in a range for a long, uh, an extended period of time. It'll be a, effectively it'll be like. Right now, you're basically flat over the last two years, okay? Now, you you were negative over the last two years by about 13% uh, just a month ago. So, I mean, these things change quickly. But you're effectively flat over the last two years. And what's interesting to me about that is in the past, one of the only inflationary, long-lasting inflationary periods of our country's history was the 70s, and that's exactly what happened. Stocks effectively went sideways for almost 20 years. Anyway, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right. And, oh, and also, if that resonates with you, if you realize, hey, I do need that risk management, what he's saying makes a lot of sense. You need some stocks, maybe a little Bitcoin, but not a lot. Okay, If you're managing your money, I'm not talking a lot, small I'd advise keeping it under a 5% share of your portfolio. And, 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 the, and, and, and look, we will have it at times. It's not something that we're going to own consistently. We're going to own it in very small sizes. Why, why do I even include it in there? I think gold will be the winner. I, that's my bias. That's the way it's always played out. I still think Bitcoin will go away at some point, but I don't know. Right. This is we are in such uncharted territory with government spending so much money. We just have to spread those bets out. But here's not here, here's what I really don't think is gonna work. A typical stock bond portfolio. 
I think there's a really good chance that on an inflation-adjusted basis, the stock market could be looking at negative returns for an extended period of time. I mean, years. Why do I say that? That's what's happened in other inflationary periods. Again, I'm not making this up. I'm not saying it's going to be just like that. But man, I sure see I sure see the capability of it. It makes sense on a fundamental level. So give us a call. If that's something that interests you, if you're like, boy, I'm sitting in my stock bond portfolio and Zach, I haven't fully recovered. Well, yeah, you haven't recovered because bonds are still way lower than they were two years ago. And, it, it, you know, we were talking about the collapse of bonds for years saying, hey, it's coming. As soon as interest rates get up, you got to get out of the way. And if you're still sitting on losses, guys, you shouldn't be paying somebody to manage your money. If they didn't understand that interest rates going up was going to hit your bond portfolio, that is your indication to find a new advisor. So give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. I went over, got to cut off the show right there. Again, interview will post at the beginning of next year. Until then, have a wonderful Christmas, a merry, happy new year. Merry new year coming to America, right? Happy, Merry Christmas, happy new year. And we'll see you guys soon. Be safe. Have a great time with your families. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. How many times in recent memory has your financial advisor not reacted to current events and also not made a change in your investment portfolio? Now, think about all the volatile events during that time that have threatened your retirement. That's Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Todd, we talk about it all the time, risk management. It's our number one focus. We actively manage every portfolio daily, looking for opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Let us show you how Bulwark's risk management strategy can protect that retirement you've worked so hard for. This is exactly why you need Zach and Bulwark Capital in your corner. You only get one retirement. Learn how Bulwark does it with their free common sense investing guide. Call 866-779-RISK or simply go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Tech Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.